1: Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. These days, it seems there's no shortage of things that can stress us out. The cost of living, trying to find some time for ourselves in our busy lives, the challenges of raising a family, and even coping with the growing demands at work can all make us feel stressed and overloaded. When we keep stress inside and let it build up, it can affect us negatively both mentally And physically. Therapy provides a safe place to get things off your chest and learn effective techniques and strategies to work through whatever is weighing you down. When I chose online therapy, I chose better help, and it made a huge difference in my life. I was able to schedule my sessions when they were convenient for me, and my licensed therapist was knowledgeable and friendly. It felt really good to get things off my chest instead of trying to deal with everything myself. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just complete a short online questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a friendly, licensed therapist in under 48 hours. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com guidedsleep guided sleep to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P dot slash guided sleep. You're listening to Tracks to Relax. In this session, we'll be reading Chapter 2 of The Secret Garden. Mistress Mary Quite Contrary and then segueing into a relaxing sleep meditation to help you drift off, if you haven't already. Before we begin this chapter, make sure you're in a place where you can get nice and comfortable and enjoy a wonderful deep sleep. So when you're nice and comfortable and ready to relax, let's begin. Mary had liked to look at her mother from a distance and she had thought her very pretty. But as she knew very little of her, she could scarcely have been expected to love her or to miss her very much when she was gone. She did not miss her at all, in fact, and as she was a very self-absorbed child, she gave her entire thought to herself, as she had always done. If she would have been older, she would no doubt have been very anxious at being left alone in the world. But she was very young, and as she had always been taken care of, she supposed she always would be. What she thought was that she would like to know if she's going to nice people, who would be polite to her and give her her own way as her Ea and the other native servants had done. She knew that she was not going to stay at the English clergyman's house where she was taken at first. She did not want to stay. The English clergyman was poor, and he had five children, nearly all the same age. And they wore shabby clothes, and were always quarreling and snatching toys from each other. Mary hated the untidy bungalow, and was so disagreeable to them that after the first day or two, nobody would play with her. By the second day, they had given her a nickname that made her furious. It was Basil who thought of it first. Basil was a little boy with impudent blue eyes and a turned-up nose. And Mary hated him. She was playing by herself under a tree, just as she had been playing the day the cholera broke out. She was making heaps of earth and paths for a garden, and Basil came up and stood near her to watch her. Presently, He had gotten rather interested, and suddenly made a suggestion. Why don't you put the heap of stones there, and pretend it's a rockery, he said. There, in the middle. He leaned over to point. Go away, cried Mary. I don't want boys. Go away. For a moment Basil looked angry, but then he began to tease. He was always teasing his sisters, and danced around and around her, and made faces, and sang and laughed. Mistress Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow, with silver bells and cockle shells, and marigolds, all in a row? He sang it until the other children heard, and laughed too. And the crosser Mary got, the more they sang. Mistress Mary, quite contrary. And after that, as long as she stayed with them, They called her Mistress Mary, quite contrary, when they spoke of her to each other, and often when they spoke to her. You are going to be sent home, Basil said to her, at the end of the week, and we're glad of it. I'm glad of it, too, answered Mary. Where is home? She doesn't know where home is, said Basil, with seven-year-old scorn. It's England, of course. Our grandmama lives there, and our sister Mabel was sent to her last year. You're not going to your grandmama. You have none. You are going to your uncle. His name is Mr. Archibald Craven. I don't know anything about him, snapped Mary. I know you don't, Basil answered. You don't know anything. Girls never do. I heard father and mother talking about him. He lives in a great big desolate old house in the country, and no one goes near him. He's so cross, he won't let them, and they wouldn't come if he would let them. He's a hunchback, and he's horrid. I don't believe you, said Mary, and she turned her back and stuck her fingers in her ears because she would not listen anymore but she thought it over a great deal afterward and when Mrs. Crawford told her that night that she was going to sail away to England in a few days and go to her uncle, Mr. Archibald Craven who lived at Misslethwaite Manor she looked so stony and stubbornly uninterested that they did not know what to think about her they tried to be kind to her but she turned her face away when Mrs. Crawford attempted to kiss her, and held herself stiffly when Mr. Crawford patted her shoulder. She is such a plain child, Mrs. Crawford said pityingly afterward, and her mother was such a pretty creature. She had a pretty manner, too, and Mary has the most unattractive ways I've ever in a child. The children call her Mistress Mary quite contrary, and though it's naughty of them, I can't help but understand it. Perhaps if her mother had carried her pretty face and her pretty manners oftener into the nursery, Mary might have learned some pretty ways too. It's very sad now the poor beautiful thing is gone to remember that many people never even knew she had a child at all. I believe she scarcely ever looked at her, sighed Mrs. Crawford. When Horea was dead, there was no one to give thought to the little thing. Think of the servants running away and leaving her all alone deserted in that bungalow. Colonel McGrew said he nearly jumped out of his skin when he opened the door and found her standing by herself in the middle of the room. Mary made the long voyage to England under the care of an officer's wife, who was taking her children to leave them in boarding school. She was very much absorbed in her own little boy and girl, and was very glad to hand the child over to the woman Mr. Archibald Craven had sent to meet her in London. The woman was his housekeeper at Misselthwaite Manor, and her name was Mrs. Medlock. She was a stout woman, with red cheeks and sharp black eyes. She wore a very purple dress, a black silk mantle with jet fringe upon it, and a black bonnet with purple velvet flowers that stuck up and trembled when she moved her head. Mary did not like her at all, but as she very seldom liked people, there was nothing remarkable in that. Besides, it was very evident that Miss Medlock did not think much of her. My word. She's a plain little piece of goods, she said. And we'd heard that her mother was a beauty. She hasn't handed much of it down, has she, ma'am? Perhaps she'll improve as she grows older, the officer's wife said good naturedly. If she were not so sallow and had a nicer expression, her features are rather good. Children alter so much. She'll have to alter a good deal, said Mrs. Medlock. And there's nothing likely to improve children at Mistlethwaite, if you ask me. They thought Mary was not listening because she was standing a little apart from them at a window of the private hotel they'd gone to. She was watching the passing buses and cabs and people, but she heard quite well and was made very curious about her uncle and the place he lived. What sort of place was it, and what would it be like? What was a hunchback? She'd never seen one. Perhaps there were none in India. Since she'd been living in other people's houses and had no air, she'd begun to feel lonely and to think queer thoughts which were new to her. She'd begun to wonder why she had never seemed to belong to anyone even when her father and mother had been alive. Other children seemed to belong to their fathers and mothers, but she had never seemed to really be anyone's little girl. She had had servants and food and clothes, but no one had taken notice of her. She did not know that this was because she was a disagreeable child, but then, of course, she did not know that she was disagreeable. She often thought that other people were, but she did not know that she was so herself. She thought Mrs. Medlock the most disagreeable person she had ever seen, with her common, highly-coloured face and a common, fine bonnet. When the next day they set out on their journey to Yorkshire, she walked through the station to the railway carriage with her head up, and trying to keep it as far away from her as she could, because she did not want to seem to belong to her. It would have made her angry to think people imagine she was her little girl. But Mrs. Medlock was not the least disturbed by her and her thoughts. She was the kind of woman that would stand no nonsense from young ones. At least that is what she would have said if she had been asked. She had not wanted to go to London just when her sister Maria's daughter was going to be married. But she had a comfortable, well-paid place as housekeeper at Misselthwaite Manor, and the only way that she could keep it was to do at once what Mr. Archibald Craven had told her to do. She never dared even ask a question. Captain Lennox and his wife died of the cholera. Mr. Craven had said in a short, cold way, Captain Lennox was my wife's brother and I am their daughter's guardian. This child is to be brought here. You must go to London and bring her yourself. So she packed her small trunk and made the journey. Mary sat in her corner of the railway carriage and looked plain and fretful. She had nothing to read or to look at, and she had folded her thin, little black-gloved hands in her lap. Her black dress made her look yellower than ever, and her limp, light hair scraggled from under her black crepe hat. A more marred-looking young one I never saw in my life, Mrs. Metlock thought. Marred is a Yorkshire word, and it means spoiled and pettish. She had never seen a child who sat so still without doing anything, And at last, she got tired of watching her, and began to talk in a brisk, hard voice. "'I suppose I may as well tell you something about where you're to be going,' she said. "'Do you know anything about your uncle?' "'No,' said Mary. "'Never heard your father and mother talk about him?' "'No,' said Mary, frowning. She frowned because she remembered that her father and mother had never talked to her about anything in particular.' Certainly, they'd never told her things. Hmm, muttered Mrs. Medlock, staring at her queer, unresponsive little face. She did not say any more for a few moments, and then began again. I suppose you might as well be told something to prepare you. You're going to a queer place. Mary said nothing at all and Miss Medlock looked rather discomforted by her apparent indifference. But, after taking a breath, she went on. Not but that it's a grand big place in a gloomy way, and Mr. Craven's proud of it in his way, and that's gloomy enough too. The house is six hundred years old, and it's on the edge of a moor, And there's near a hundred rooms in it, though most of them are shut up and locked. And there's pictures, and fine old furniture and things that have been there for ages. And there's a big park around it and gardens and trees, with branches trailing to the ground, some of them. She paused and took another breath. But there's nothing else, she ended suddenly. Mary had begun to listen in spite of herself. It all sounded so unlike India. And anything new rather attracted her. But she did not intend to look as if she were interested. That was one of her unhappy, disagreeable ways. So she sat still. Well, said Mrs. Medlock, what do you think of it? Nothing, she answered. I know nothing about such places. That made Mrs. Metlock laugh, a short sort of laugh. Heh, she said, but you are like an old woman. You don't care? It doesn't matter, said Mary, whether I care or not. You're right enough there, said Mrs. Metlock. It doesn't. What you're to be kept at Mistlethwaite Manor for, I don't know unless because it's the easiest way. He's not going to trouble himself about you, that's sure and certain. He never troubles himself about no one. She stopped herself, as if she had just remembered something in time. He's got a crooked back, she said. That set him wrong. He was a sour young man, and got no good for all his money and big plays until he was married. Mary's eyes turned towards her in spite of her intention not to seem to care. She had never thought of the hunchbacks being married and was a trifle surprised. Mrs. Medlock saw this and as she was a talkative woman she continued with more interest. This was one way of passing some of the time at any rate. She was a sweet, pretty thing and he'd have walked the world to get a blade of grass she wanted. Nobody thought she'd marry him, but she did. And some people said she married him for money, but she didn't. She didn't. Positively. When she died, Mary gave an involuntary jump. Oh, she died? she exclaimed, quite without meaning to. She had just remembered a French fairy story she had once read called Reque à la Oup. It had been about a poor hunchback and a beautiful princess, and it had made her suddenly sorry for Mr. Archibald Craven. Yes, she died, Mrs. Medlock answered, and it made him queerer than ever. He cares about nobody. He won't see people, and most of the time he goes away. And when he's at Misselthwaite, he shuts himself up in the West Wing, and won't let anyone but Pitcher see him. Pitcher's an old fellow, but he took care of him when he was a child, and he knows his ways. It sounded like something in a book, and it did not make Mary feel cheerful. A house with a hundred rooms, nearly all shut up, with their doors locked, a house on the edge of a moor, whatsoever a moor was, sounded dreary. A man with a crooked back, who shut himself up also. She stared out the window, with her lips pinched together, and it seemed quite natural that the rain should have begun to pour down in grey slanting lines, and splash and stream down her window panes. If the pretty wife had been alive, she might have made things cheerful by being something like her own mother, and by running in and out, and going to parties as she had done in frocks full of lace. But she was not there anymore. You needn't expect to see him, because ten to one you won't, said Mrs. Medlock. And you mustn't expect that there will be people to talk to you. You'll have to play about and look after yourself. You'll be told what rooms you can go into and what rooms to keep out of. There's gardens enough, but when you're in the house, don't go wandering and poking about. Mr. Craven won't have it. I shall not want to go poking about, said sour little Mary. And just as suddenly as she had begun to be rather sorry for Mr. Archibald Craven, she began to cease to be sorry and to think that he was unpleasant enough to deserve all that had happened to him, and she turned her face towards the streaming panes of the window of the railway carriage and gazed out at the grey rainstorm which looked as if it would go on forever and ever. She watched it for so long and steadily that the greyness grew heavier And heavier before her eyes, and she fell asleep. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter two of The Secret Garden, and now it's time for you to relax even more, too. As we move on to this guided meditation, to help you take that next step towards drifting off yourself. And perhaps as you listen, your eyelids will get heavier and heavier, and you'll just find yourself drifting off into a
0: wonderful, deep sleep. In a moment,
1: begin to slow down your breathing by taking deeper, longer breaths. At whatever pace and in whatever way helps you to relax, as you begin to use your imagination to visualize, imagine. Or simply become aware at some level that you are standing in a hallway in front of a large door. As you stand there looking at this door, you can notice the location of the doorknob and the color that this door has been painted. Beside the door is a small table, and upon it are three small stones. One stone is green, the second stone is pink, and the third stone is yellow. Beside the stones is a beautiful wooden box with a hinged lid. And you can open or close this box simply by using the handle in the middle of the lid. In a moment, I'd like you to pick up the three stones and place them into your left hand. But before you do that, allow your shoulders to drop slightly. Relax your jaw, and exhale deeply as you sink down into the surface that's supporting your body right now. That's right. And now imagine that you reach down and pick up those three stones and place them in your left hand, and as you hold them in that hand, imagine for a moment that holding these stones activates a powerful resource within you, a resource that will help you take a break and relax so much more deeply. Because as you hold these stones, any thoughts, feelings, sounds, energy, and images regarding challenges you have in your life begin to flow now from wherever they reside within you. Flowing towards the stones in your left hand. Because each of these stones has a particular task, function, and purpose. The green stone represents any money challenges you may be experiencing. The pink stone. Represents any challenges you're having with relationships in your life. And the yellow stone represents any concerns or challenges that you were having with your health. So focus your attention on the green stone in your hand now and allow any thoughts feelings and sounds associated to those challenges with money, to flow from wherever they are within you, all the way down into that green stone in your hand. That green stone that acts like a sponge. Absorbing and holding on to everything that's associated to money problems. That's right. Let it all flow from within you into that stone now. Where it can be held till later. Relieving you of all this, for now. And now focus your attention on the pink stone in your left hand, as all the thoughts, feelings, sounds, and energy within you regarding relationship challenges just flows from wherever they are inside you, traveling into your left arm and flowing all the way down to the pink stone in your left hand, where they are now absorbed and held for you. Take a moment to continue to allow everything that needs to flow into that stone to do so, relieving you temporarily of any burdens associated to relationships that you have in your life. You deserve to take a break from all of that, so take another moment to just allow it all to flow into that stone, now. And now it's time to focus your attention on the Yellowstone. As any and all thoughts, feelings, sounds, and energy surrounding health challenges in your life begin to flow from wherever they are within you. into that left arm, and all the way down, into that yellow stone in your hand, where they are absorbed and held for you until much, much later, unburdening you of any stress or worry about things relating to your health in your life. You deserve a break from all of that. So take a few more moments to just allow
0: all of that to flow.
1: And now you reach down and open the lid of the wooden box. Not only do you not have to carry all of those burdens right now, you don't even have to carry the stones. You place them inside the box and close it tightly. And now your attention goes back to the door, and you reach out and turn the door handle, opening the door and stepping inside, leaving the stones and all they represent behind you. As you move forward, Closing the door, and move to the center of this room, where there is a recliner waiting just for you. Relaxing music surrounds you, and you sit down in this recliner, and press the button that allows it to recline. To just the perfect level for you this chair is so comfortable if you've ever imagined what it would be like to lie down on a fluffy white cloud this recliner feels Just like that, soft, supportive, warm, and so comfortable. And as you sink down into it a little bit more, you relax. Even more deeply and begin to rest, enjoying the sounds around you and relaxing more and more deeply and completely with each. you